Last winter, I told you a story about how that foolishly several years before I drove into floodwaters and ruined my Honda Accord. And I was unhappy with the way that my insurance company that I had back then was treating me during that time. In fact, I felt like perhaps they weren't living up to their agreement. So I thought to myself, I'd love to talk to an attorney. But in all my years, fortunately, I've never needed to engage an attorney personally. And so I didn't really know who, what kind of an attorney do you call when you, when you need something like that. I mean, I've seen commercials like you have, but I think they're probably better answers. And so I still remember the moment where I was asking myself, do I do this or do I not do it? Because I have a friend, he's with the Lord now, but I have a friend who was probably one of the greatest legal minds this area has ever seen. He was a First Amendment specialist. He was a constitutional law specialist. He tried several cases before the Supreme Court of the United States. And I thought to myself, I've got an aging Honda Accord that I drove into floodwaters, and I'm about to call one of the most high-powered lawyers in the region to ask him. But I didn't want to ask for his personal help because I knew that was, that was way under his purview. But I just thought maybe he could give me direction about who to call. And when I called my friend, he said, oh, Mark, please don't worry about that. you got such big things to be concerned about. And he said, I'm going to call, and it was a partner of his, and it happens to also be a mutual friend, and I knew who his partner was. His partner was one of the best trial lawyers in the city. He would go up against these major corporations and win all these mega-million-dollar verdicts. And he did call him, and all of a sudden I had two of Wichita's highest-powered lawyers concerned about an aging Honda Accord that its foolish owner had driven into floodwaters. And I still remember that night when I thought, well, it's in pretty good hands. But it was also at that point that I thought about the sweet power of friendship and realized that they weren't doing this because we were in a quid pro quo relationship, although I hope that when they need to call on me, I was just as good a friend. But it was because they love me. It's really nice to have a friend. And it's especially nice to have a friend who is powerful, who is connected and who has expertise. We're in a series right now that's about the subject of friends. And each week, we're beginning with a particular verse out of the book of Proverbs that I think is sort of the quintessential Bible verse that deals with friendship. And here's what it says. There are friends, notice there are quotation marks there, there are friends who destroy each other. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of these friends with quotation marks? You know, have you ever had a friend who's a bad influence? I mean, it's just being with them, hanging with them. You wound up hanging with other people who weren't good influences, and you wound up doing things that were hurtful. You wound up hurting people that you loved. Some of the stupidest things that we ever did, we did because we were with somebody who was a friend, in quotation marks, who was a bad influence. And there are things right now that, uh, just opening that up, there's embarrassment that we feel. Our face kind of gets flushed because we think about some of the dumb stuff that we've done because we had somebody that we thought was a friend, but it was a friend, in quotation marks, who was a bad influence. Do you ever have a friend who categorized their friends? I have. They have friends on this level, friends on this level, friends on this level, and friends on this level. And, and you discovered that you certainly weren't on the top level because they have bigger friends who came along and dropped you like you were a rock. You ever have friends like that? Ever have friends who used you? You thought this person was a friend. But they had an agenda and you were just convenient. 
and you thought, you know, you were in a great friendship only to wake up one day to find out that you were being used. I remember my, my wife had a friend when she was growing up. Actually, this friend lived in her neighborhood and was almost like a kid's sister to Mary Alice. And Mary Alice had just befriended her all the time they were growing up. And this girl grew up in a really difficult home, and, and the parents could really be overbearing and, and unreasonable. And so throughout the years growing up, Mary Alice would go over to her home and help her do her jobs around the house just to keep her out of trouble with the parents. And throughout all her years through elementary school and junior high school and high school, Mary Alice just was a good friend of this girl. And I remember years after we were married one day, this girl called Mary Alice and said, we're having some trouble with our marriage. Is there any chance that you and Mark will come over to our home and have dinner with us and maybe help us with the trouble that we're having in our marriage? And it was just natural for Mary Alice to say, well, yes, absolutely, whatever we have to drop, whatever we have to do, we'll, we'll make it happen. I still remember the night we went over to the girl's house and we had dinner. When we, when we got over, we, over there, we found out that the marriage problems that they were having was just a ruse. They were in some sort of direct marketing thing, and they wanted to get us involved. You know, we still remember that to this day. We, we were used, used. Have you ever had a friend who used you? Now, let's have an honest moment here because there are relationships that are quid pro quo. I mean, there, there are relationships where, where we each have an interest. But that's not friendship. Let's not call it friendship. In the words of that eminent philosopher Michael Corleone, let's just call it what it is. It's not personal. It's business. There are friends, the Bible says, that destroy each other. But now look at the second half of the verse. But a real friend, a real friend, sticks closer than a brother. Did you ever have a real friend? I, I hope the answer is yes. I mean, I hope that right now a smile is coming to your face because you're thinking about somebody who either was in the past or is today, a real friend. Did you ever have a real friend who stood with you when doing the right thing cost you big time? Have you ever, by the way, have you ever noticed that doing the right thing will often cost you politically? You did the right thing. You stood up for what was right, but it wasn't popular, and some people thought that you weren't their friends anymore because you stood up for what was right. They thought you had a sliding scale of right and wrong, but you did the right thing, and, and people were vacating the premises, but all of a sudden a friend came along and said, you know what, she's doing the right thing. Do you ever have a friend who stood with you when you did the right thing and it was unpopular? Do you ever have a friend who stood up for you when others ripped you? Have you ever been in a situation where people were ripping you? And you had a friend who stood up for you? I mean, I've, I've had the privilege of, of leading New Spring Church for 27 years, and I've led it through sunny days of explosive growth, and I've led it through challenging days of transition and relocation when a lot of the things that I wanted to do were unpopular. And I remember being in one meeting where there were 15 guys in a room, and 13 of them basically ripped me up one side and down the other, and I had two guys that stood up for me. And until I die or get Alzheimer's, I will remember every word they said that night. Do you ever have a friend who stood up for you when others were ripping you? Do you ever have a friend who, when you failed and everybody wrote your obituary, thought you weren't finished? When everybody else gave up on you, when everybody else walked out, they walked in? Do you ever have a friend like that? See, it's interesting to me because in Proverbs 18, 24, the Bible defines for us a real friend. And I think there are all kinds of things that God could have said about what a real friend does. A real friend loves. A real friend cares. A real friend gives. But notice that that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says a real friend sticks closer than a brother. See, here's the deal. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but I'll tell you what my experience has been. My experience has been on the sunny days when you're the beautiful person and things are happening around you and, and you're the charmed woman, the charmed guy, you're, and, and everything is going great. People want to get close to you. 
But when, it, when things are not going so well and you're not the charmed guy, you're not the charmed gal anymore, and all of a sudden being with you makes them unpopular, it's funny how that there's a distance that opens up. When I was growing up, I had two heroes who weren't ministers, and one of them was Tom Landry, who was head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And please have pity on me. I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But I love Tom Landry. I had the privilege of meeting him several years ago when we were building this building, and he was so excited about just, just everything that you would have hoped. If you loved Landry, everything that you would have hoped that he was, he was. But in any event, this is a side story. I remember when he was still coaching the Cowboys. I think they were coaching out on the West Coast somewhere and playing on the West Coast somewhere, and there was a, there was a threat against Landry's life. And they actually, the security came and shuttled Landry off the field, took him into the locker room. Landry would not listen to them and stay off the field, had a bulletproof vest on, came back onto the field and kept coaching. But his wife, Alicia, would later say, I noticed how the other players stood away from him. (laughs) Isn't that how life works? Everything's going great, people want to get close. Things not going so great, distance. I mean, do you ever have things really go badly in your life? Maybe you get laid off from a job. Maybe all of a sudden something went really tough in your life and being around you was expensive. And you go up to a person and say, I thought you were my friend. Oh, that's what happened to you. A real friend sticks closer. My question for you tonight is, is do you have room in your life for that kind of friend? Do you have room in your life for that kind of friend? Suppose, though, this friend I'm asking you about, suppose this friend had extreme power. Suppose this friend had connections. Suppose this friend had expertise. We're not talking about just an ordinary friend. We're talking about a friend with extraordinary juice. I mean, do you have room in your life for somebody who would be there for you, who would stick close no matter what? And then on top of that, a friend who has extreme power, would you be open to that? And then suppose, I I tell you this, because here's the deal. You know, a lot of times when when, when ordinary people have the opportunity to become friends with somebody who's very powerful, usually it's the ordinary person seeking friendship with a powerful person. But isn't it exciting to know that this particular friend is seeking you out? This friend wants to get to be close to you. This friend wants to be your friend. Now, that is such a cool thing because I, I, I needed a favor from somebody this week who I've respected for years and I've never had a chance to meet him. And, and so I, when I make the phone call and I get him on the other end, I'm instantly scared that he doesn't know who I am. He may not want to have anything to do with me. He's a very great person, a very brilliant mind. And I called him and I said, hey, this is who I am. And I'm Mark Hoover and I'm pastor of New Spring Church. And the first words out of his mouth were, I've wanted to know you for 25 years. That was a good feeling. Do you have room for a friend who will stick close no matter what? Do you have friend, room for a friend who's got extreme power, expertise, and connections? Do you have room in your life for a friend who wants to be your friend? Suppose I tell you this person was God. Now, I know what somebody's thinking right now. You're saying, okay, I got talked into coming to this crazy church. And now he's going to talk about religion. No, I'm not going to talk about religion. I don't know what your experience with religion is, but I can tell you what mine's been. My experience with religion is it puts a distance between me and God. It presents a God who is distant. It presents a God who's far away. It presents a God that I have to jump through hoops in order for him to accept me. It, it presents to me a God who is up in heaven with a hammer just waiting, me for, waiting for me to do something wrong. I, well, my experience, with, and I hope yours has been better. Maybe your experience with religion has been different, but my experience has been a God who is distant. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a friendship 
with God. The Bible does say he is that kind of friend. Let me just read you a couple of verses, and we'll get back to these later. But in James 2.23, the Bible talks about Abraham, and it says he believed God, and, and God credited him with righteousness, and he was called the friend of God, the friend of God. By the way, did you know both Jews and Muslims both agree on the fact that Abraham was God's friend? When you get that big a part of the world to agree on one thing, that's pretty substantial, right? And then in John chapter 15, it's Jesus, it's God with skin on, where Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, I'm not calling you servants anymore. A greater love has no man than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I've called you friends because everything I've learned from my Father I'm sharing with you. Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't, I don't want you just to be employees. I want you to be friends. Well, tonight here's where it gets a little bit dicey because I, I really I want to make sure that no matter what I do when I stand before you that I'm academically honest and I tell the truth. And for a few moments that this sermon could get a little tense, and I know that, and, and so I'm kind of letting you know before we get there, who is this God who wants to be your friend? See, the reason why I ask this question is, to me, I think there are polar extremes, and both of them are fraudulent concepts. On one hand, there is this God that's like distant and doesn't want to get close to anybody, and he has to be appeased, and I've already shared with you, that's a wrong idea of God, and some of us, that's our idea. We, we're scared to get close to God. We're even freaked out by going to church because there's this idea that there's this God who's just hostile out there. But then on the other hand, I hear people talk about, oh, God is my friend, like, you know, God is my drinking buddy. And both of those are fraudulent. Because see, here's the deal. If you want God for a friend, he's God. He isn't going to change. He's not a Camelon who changes based on whatever background he's on. If you want God for a friend, and he wants to be your friend, then I think we need to be honest about who God is. The first thing I want you to know about God is God is awesome. We use that term so much in our culture today, but God truly is awesome. He is so awesome, it is hard to define him. But the Bible introduces God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The question is, who made God? Well, God made beginnings. See, for us, we're so, we're so human, we're accustomed with dealing with time. We're accustomed with dealing with segments where there are points of beginning and points of in ending. What we don't realize is that's the anomaly. Eternality is the norm. And so we automatically ask the question, well, who made God? But God is the first cause. God is the source. When there was a beginning, whenever that point was, God was already in existence. And the Bible doesn't attempt to prove God. God just hands us his business card and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I know it's controversial, but I just don't think it can be avoided here. Last week, I had a, a really special privilege I had the privilege of taking part in a debate slash dialogue, friendly debate, with a student non-theist group at Wichita State University. The president and the vice president are friends of mine, and sometimes they attend New Spring, and they're just great guys. And, and like I say, we, we've gotten to be really good friends, and they honored me by asking me to come out and present the view of, does God exist? And so we had a, three hours of a great, great discussion, and I had a great time. I'm so glad they invited me. But one of the things that I realized is, is I'd listen to the exchange between non-theists, not just the, the, the others who were on the panel, but when questions were asked, I realized that there's, I think, something of a, a misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding goes like this. If you believe in God, it's based on, on one side, there's the supernatural and faith. So if you believe in God, you believe in God because God does supernatural things and it's based on faith. If you don't believe in God, then 
you basically are basing your thoughts on reason and natural things. You're based on nature and reason. And, and there's this idea that there's a versus in the middle. There's faith in the supernatural on one side, and there's nature and reason on the other side. And yet the irony of that is, you know, when God presents himself, he only calls one, he only calls one witness, and it's not miracles. God never says that we should believe in him because of the miraculous. Miraculous is not God trying to get us to believe in him. If God contravenes norms, that's just his way of trying to get people's attention. It is interesting that when God calls a witness to prove his existence, such as he does try to prove his existence, it is interesting he's not calling faith as a witness. He's not calling the supernatural as a witness. He is calling nature and reason. Those are the only witnesses he calls. Let me explain. Let me just read it to you. The Bible says they know the truth about God because God has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They clearly see. That means to apprehend fully through the exercise of the mind. They, they see his invisible qualities. He's eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. See, God, God doesn't say, look at my miracles and believe in me. God says, look at DNA and believe in me. God doesn't say, look at, you know, look at this opening of the Red Sea. God is saying, look at the sea itself. In the, in the discussion that we had, there was a kind of interesting moment. It was a light switch moment for me. The, the, one of the panelists on the other side, he made a comment. He said, um, let me see if I can find this. Incredible claims require incredible reasons. In other words, the idea that there is a God, that is an incredible claim. And consequently, it requires incredible reasons. And my partner, who is Dr. Paul Ackerman, who is the co-chair of the psychology department at WSU, he made a wonderful point. He said, things that are incredible to one person may not be incredible to somebody else. And so I'm kind of listening to this debate going on in front of me, and all of a sudden it hit me. Wait a minute. Is it really incredible that God exists? I mean, think about your body for a moment. Your body's not a system. It's a system of systems. You have a circulatory system. You have a reproductive system, excretory system, on and on and on it goes. It's a system of systems. And, and I got thinking about this. You know, everything I know of that has function, that's a system of systems, whether we're talking about a 747 or an iPhone, everything that I've ever experienced in human life that's a system of systems that has complexity and function it, it all has a manufacturer, it all has engineering, it has designing. And so I asked the question, why then is it out of character to presume that the human body with all of its complexities, or nature with all of its complexities, I mean, think about this, you have six trillion cells in your body right now. All those cells have 46 chromosomes, except for your reproductive cells, which conveniently have only 23, so that when the zygotes form, there's 46. But here's the point. At the end of the debate, it was open to the, to the audience for discussions. And, and there was a young man who asked me a question. I knew it was the leading question, but I accepted it. He said, who is the burden of proof on? And I knew where that question was leading. Because the idea is that if you don't believe in God, if God shows up, then you can believe in God. The idea is for me to say that there was a God, the burden of proof was on me. But I think God gave me wisdom at that moment because I said the burden of proof is on every one of us. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, you have a position, and that position will either reap its benefits or it will pay the consequences. 
But here's the thing, and if you say, well, Mark, I'm a non-theist, please know I'm not trying to jam you, but I am making a case tonight. I want you to know that our God is an awesome God. He is creator. He is not somebody that you run into and slip your arm around as a drinking buddy. He is the God of the universe, and here's the deal. There will be a day when you will need God to be everything that he is. He is an awesome God. Listen to the way he describes himself. I alone am God. And there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. I have said what I will do. And I will do it. God is an awesome God. Secondly, he knows you. I don't mean that he knows you as an American or he knows you as a Wichita or he knows you as part of the human race. God knows you. You. you say, well, how could God know 7 billion people? I don't know. That's not my answer. I just know that God knows you. In fact, the Bible says that God knows the very hair, number of hairs on your head, which in my case is always declining balance. <laughs> that means that God has paid attention to me during this service because I assure you I've left some hairs up here someplace. <laughs> and then not only does he know what's on the outside of your head, he knows what's on the inside of your head. In Matthew 6, 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Some of you got huge stuff that you need. Before you needed it, God knew you were going to need it. There's a story in the Bible, and I, I surely don't have time to tell it, but let me just give you a little bit of background so you'll understand the verse. There was a girl who was pregnant. The father of the child was the man she worked for. And it, it had been the bright idea of this guy's wife, because she couldn't have any children, for this servant girl to have a baby with her husband. And the girl got pregnant, and then all of a sudden the woman of the house got angry that this servant girl could have a baby and she couldn't and kicked her out of the house. Here's this poor girl. I mean, she's a servant. She doesn't have any money, doesn't have any, any, I mean, she doesn't have any connections. All of a sudden she's just out, pregnant and out. And here's the thing. She was the kind of person that would have thought that people looked right through and didn't see. But there was a moment where God interacted with her, and it's right after that moment that I want to pick up. The Bible says in Genesis 16, verse 13, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. She said, you are the God who sees me. I love that. He is the God who sees you. He sees you in church tonight, but he sees you when you go home and you close the door and you're by yourself and you're crying yourself to sleep tonight. He still sees you. He sees you when you're scared out of your wits because something is hanging over your head and you don't have an answer for it. He sees you when you need a job and you don't have a job. He sees you when you're dealing with challenges in your relationship. God sees you. He knows you. He is an awesome God. He knows you. And number three, he loves you. He loves you. There are so many verses in the Bible that I could have picked, but I picked my favorite. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the Bible says, I have loved you. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you with loving kindness. If you're like me, there's things that have happened in your life where you just have this sense that God is beckoning you toward himself, and God says, I've loved you with a love that won't quit. He's an awesome God. He knows you. He loves you. And here's the really cool thing. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. 
I mean, obviously, we would all want to have somebody as powerful as God as our friend. But think about this. He's not just saying he wants to be our God, and he's not even saying he wants to be our parent, although that's in the Bible that God adopts his children. But this is something else. I See, here's the thing. I know parents and kids who aren't friends. I know, I know powerful people that have people who work for them that aren't friends, but God is wanting to be your personal friend. Look at me that you're here this evening and you have a question. And as we get ready to close out this message, this is a question on your mind. How do I get to be God's friend? How do I become God's friend? And we're not talking about how to become an inherit to a religion or we're not talking about how to join a church. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about becoming friends with the creator of the universe. How do I become God's friend? Well, there are really two aspects of this. One is meeting God and the other is deepening a friendship with God. In the early service tonight, my wife was in here, Mary Alice. She is my best friend. And we, have a, and we have an anniversary coming up next Saturday. We met each other 40 years ago next Saturday. And I can still remember that moment as though it were just 30 minutes ago. I remember we were, we were, I was a junior in high school, Mary Alice was a freshman. Our, my high school was a huge high school. We were hosting an invitational debate tournament, forensics tournament that drew in, drew in participants from all over the state of Texas. Huge thing. And so I had my hands full. I was going to be judging a lot of different rounds. And, and, and Mary Alice was supposed to be keeping time. She was a timekeeper for the events. And she had gone to one of my friends. Named, his name was Jim. And Jim was in the same grade Mary Alice was. And he was a good friend of mine. Jim was quite possibly one of the most liberal people I ever met in my life. Jim was the kind of person. He's an independent filmmaker now. He's the kind of guy that chains himself to, you know, nuclear power plant fences. <laughs> But Jim and I were buds, and, and we love to, to get together and talk politics and talk about life and everything. And so Mary Alice knew Jim, knew me, and so she went to Jim and said, would you introduce me to Mark? Now, Mary Alice had known who I was since junior high school, but I'd never met her before. And I still remember that moment when Jim came and said, hey, I want to introduce somebody to you. This is Mary Alice McDonald. She would like to meet you. Now, did I know at that very moment that I was meeting my future wife? No. But I will tell you this. As I spent that evening with her, and she wound up keeping time for all my debate rounds. I don't know how she pulled that off. But I will say this, I knew I had met a very special friend. How do you meet God? What does it take to meet God? You know what's cool about this? You don't have to go chasing him, he's chasing you. And some of us have been running from him because we feel him in our lives. And it could be that you don't like to go to church because you know that things are not right in your life and you feel like God is pursuing you, but you're running from him. But isn't it a mistake to run from God? Because see, here's the thing. So many of us are running from a caricature of God. We're running from what religion told us God was, but we don't know who he really is. And a lot of times we're running from the very person who wants to be our very best friend. Many years ago, I read a story in a newspaper about a woman who was driving by herself late at night in dark city streets. And all of a sudden, a truck came up behind her and began to follow her. Isn't that about the truck was pursuing her and chasing her? And so she sped up, and the truck sped up. And then, terrified, she drove through a red light. And the truck driver drove through a red light as well. And so she floorboarded and managed to get just a little space between him and herself. And then she whipped into a convenience store driveway and bolted out of the car to run inside to tell the person behind the counter that she was being chased the truck driver pulled up behind her car, went straight to the 
rear door of the car and jerked the door open because the truck driver had seen there was a guy who turned out to be a serial rapist who was hiding in the back seat. She was running from the very person who wanted to help her. And so many of us run from God because we have this idea in our mind that God is there to hurt us when all the time God wants to be our best friend. So here's the thing. If you want to meet God, it's not difficult. He's chasing you. He's pursuing you. In James chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible talks about Abraham. It says, and so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was called the friend of God. Now listen, let me ask you a question. What was it about Abraham that made God call him his friend? If you want to meet God, there's only one thing you can give God. Do you realize that? There's only one thing you can give God. You can't give God money. He owns the world. I always realize God, God's not sweating out how to get his hands on my stackings, turn my lights out anytime, take it off. I can't give God money. If I do give him money, it's, he gave it to me in the first place. I can't even give God time because the time that I have, that he gave me that. But God gave me one thing that I can give back to him. See, God gave me a free will. God doesn't want robots. And so God has given us all a free will. And here's the thing. Every one of us chooses what we're going to believe and who we're going to trust. And guys, the Bible says this about Abraham. He was God's friend. Why? Because he believed God. He trusted God. See, the God who is awesome and the God who knows you and the God who loves you has made a way for you to have a right relationship with him. Why are Christians so freaky about the cross? I'll tell you why. Because we have no other way to have a relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God by trying to do right. I can't even be perfect for 30 minutes. You don't have a relationship with God by being religious because no, no religion's got an end with God. You can't have a relationship with God by baptism because it takes more than Wichita water to wash away sin. There's only one way to have a relationship with God, and that is to put your confidence in him, to trust him. The Bible says this, Abraham believed God, and God credited him with righteousness. In other words, God credited him with a record that he didn't even earn. Do you realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying for our sins? So that when we put our confidence in Christ, not in our own good works, not in our religion, but when we put our confidence in Christ, basically we are saying, I understand that Jesus paid for my sins. And then his perfect record is clicked and dragged into my account. That's how you meet God. Well, if you're here tonight and you've never met God, I hope you do in a few moments. But if you're here and you say, Mark, I have met God, but I don't know that I'm really a close friend with God. Well, I think about the friendship I had with Mary Alice. I met her 40 years ago next Saturday night. But our friendship over the years has deepened. How did it deepen? It deepened because we joined our lives together in a common interest. We, we decided at some point that we were about what each other was about, and that has caused our relationship to deepen. Now listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, greater love is, is no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. Guys, I want to tell you something, and this could be a, a talk within itself, but God is doing extraordinary things in our world. 
You know, you may think the world's going down the tubes, but I want to tell you it's not. God is in control. He's got a plan. That's good to know, isn't it? You say, well, I'm I'm a Democrat. I want the Democrat to win the White House. Or I'm a Republican. I want the Republican to win the White House. You can say, I'm an independent, independent, and I want this person. Or somebody could just say, I'm tired. I want to forget about it all. Guys, I want to tell you something, and, and, and I want to be a good steward. I want to be a good American and, and, and vote wisely and all that. And I don't know that. I'm not a political person. But I do know this. I know God's got a plan, and God's at work in our world. And every time I get engaged in what God is doing, it's like I get closer to him. And I want to encourage you tonight, if, if you're a Christ follower and you've met him, but you're not really close to him, I want to encourage you to get engaged in what he's doing in the world and join him. And every time you can become part of what he's doing in the world, you just get to know him a little better and you feel his closeness. As I close out the service tonight, I want to, be, I want to close with a question. And that question is, have you ever gotten to know God? Just like I met Mary Alice 40 years ago next Saturday night. Have you met God? I'm not asking you, are you religious? I'm not asking you, are you, are you a member of a church? I'm not even asking you if you're a good person. I'm asking you, have you ever met God? And remember, you don't have to talk him into it. He's like leaning over waiting to hear from you. And I know that this is a physical act and God is a spirit, so you can't really do this physically. But here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that God is putting out his hand to you. And in Jesus, it's a nail-scarred hand. Because he paid for everything you ever did wrong. Imagine God putting a hand out to you. And you put your hand in his. That's how you meet God. You trust him. That's the only thing you can give him. That's your trust. You can do that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and these aren't magic words. This is not an incantation. This is just a, a prayer. And the important thing is what you mean. It's not the words that you say. But I'm going, to, I'm going to pray if you'd like to pray with me. I'll pray a prayer that by faith reaches out and puts your hand in God's hands. And you can pray it with me if you like. I'll pray it slowly so that you can think about it and be sure if you mean it. Okay, let's pray. God, I believe you're an awesome God. I believe you know me. I believe you love me. And I believe you want to be my friend. I give you my trust. I don't understand everything. I give you my trust tonight. I trust that Jesus died to pay for my sin. I trust that he rose from the grave and lives today. And by faith, I put my hand in yours and trust you. Thank you for wanting to be my friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know, I know that that happened real quick. And you could have a lot of questions, but I've got a packet I want to give you. If you just prayed to receive Christ, you can take your friend's uh, talk to us card. And, and the first box says, I have more questions. And it could be that you're not quite ready to make this decision, but you got some questions. And we'll try to get anything into your hands that will help. But the second box says, I prayed to receive Christ. And if you just prayed tonight, you say, I don't understand everything about it. Listen, I don't understand everything about it now, but I know God's real. And we have a gift we want to give you. It's a packet. It's got a book that I wrote in it. It's got a DVD and a coupon for a brand new Bible. It's our way of saying, 
we want to come along and be a partner with you in your new friendship with God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you just prayed with me, would you take a moment to fill this out and just check the box that you prayed to receive Christ. And you come back to guest services right back straight out through the middle of the lobby. There's one back by the coffee shop. And just say, I prayed to receive Christ. And we'll give you the packet tonight. We, nobody will hassle you, ask you a bunch of questions, stalk you or anything. We just want to give you the packet, okay? Please come by and get it. And then also, if you're our guest, go to any place where there are balloons and we have a gift for you. We want you to have it tonight. And then also, for all of you who attend on Saturday night, thank you for coming. We actually have something sweet to give everybody on the way out. It's a hint, it's gelato. So uh, thank, thank you guys for being here tonight. So glad you're here. Next week, we're going to continue our friend series. Week four is called, by the way, we're playing with the word friend. You notice the word nerd is actually in friend. So week four is called Nerd. It's how to deal with difficult people. Week five is end. It's what happens when a relationship needs to end. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless.